Welcome back, employers, HR managers, and anyone else out there giving this podcast a listen. Thanks for, for joining us. And believe it or not, this is our last episode of 2019. And uh, fittingly, for the last episode, we want to make it special. So our special guest today is Ron Theriault, who is uh, uh, my friend and also a co-worker, one of the principals here at One Digital. I'm a senior benefits consultant. And uh, so Ron's joined me to help me put a bow on this year and also look ahead what's, uh, uh, at what's coming for 2020. So Ron, welcome to the podcast. Great, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to finally be on this podcast. I've been listening since the very beginning. So I'm going to quiz you on, uh, on that then a little bit. And Let's not do that just yet. <laughs> uh, we'll start by talking about uh, 2019. So sort of let's, let's recap uh, the benefits in HR world 2019 as we close out the year. A lot has happened, uh, as you know, in the last 12 months. So we take a trip down memory lane and we'll probably start with the beginning of the year when Amazon, JP Morgan, and Berkshire Hathaway announced that they're creating their own health plan, essentially. Right. And, and I think they call it Haven now, right? That's correct. Um, so what impact did this have on our industry and, uh, and what do you think we'll see in 2020 from this Haven program? Yeah, the, the Haven program, um, which is really just branded within the last eight months, is, uh, is really gonna bring um, some big changes to our industry. There's about 1.2 million employees between those three entities, uh, which is about a third of size in Connecticut. So we're talking big impact uh, and big influence on the payers and the system and the, the vendors that they're gonna be seeking out. So it's, 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 it's gonna be uh, uh, very interesting as far as you know, what, what happens next. Right. But I, I think we still really don't know yet, right, what, what it's going to look like. So they branded it this year's Haven, mm -hmm. but have, it's not fully baked, is it? No, it's not fully baked. In 2020, they will be doing a, a pilot. Uh, I'll explain a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important, you know, you, when you think back to uh, the Affordable Care Act, right? Um, so the Affordable Care Act focus was to um, get as many people into the system as possible. Get as many insured, use that volume to create savings, quote unquote. Uh, but it didn't really work because even though um, the, uh, you know, the, the plans became accessible, um, they weren't really affordable and the pricing continued to skyrocket. Yeah. Uh, so, so what, what um, Haven Healthcare is really trying to do is kind of take the next step beyond that. Um, and they're really, their, their focus is, is really three things. They're going to use uh, and leverage the best technology out there um, to, uh, to simplify health the health insurance experience for employees, uh, to improve the quality of care, uh, and to create greater transparency, transparency for employees and employers. Um, so they're really kind of focused on the next layer down from yeah. what the Affordable Care Act did. Right. But but for but for their, but are they going to? Do, do we know? Are they going to market this to other companies, or this is just their, their, their This is just going to be for the employees of these three entities. Well, we don't know yet. But what's yeah. interesting is that so 2020 is going to be the the pilot year. Yeah. Um, so J.P. Morgan employees, there's about 30,000 employees from J.P. Morgan yeah. that are going to be doing a pilot program. Uh, and it's, it's not incredibly innovative, uh, but it's really going to provide a low, uh, low cost, no deductible type of plan to these employees. Uh, uh, they're going to be using both Aetna and Cigna. They're going to be given the choice. Um, and what they're going to be focusing on is, um, is just you know, people's care, getting them to the primary care physician. Uh, they're going to have wellness features and they're going to have incentives for people to actually do healthy things. 
Yeah. So it sounds like, like a lot of things we've been talking about for years, right? Um, but they're going to be looking at it more from a value standpoint, and they're going to be measuring with data. Yeah. And that's what a lot of these larger plans have not been successful at, is measuring with data and trying to figure out um, where uh, physicians are you know, providing the highest quality care at the lowest cost. The better, better outcomes. Correct. Outcomes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, so, you know, getting back to, to the recap of 2019, we also saw, in addition to the branding of the, of the Amazon, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway program, um, we're, we're also seeing or saw in 2019 a lot of mergers, and particularly between uh, the, the blurring of the lines between uh, pharmacy benefit managers, PBMs, and, uh, and insurance carriers, health insurance carriers. Right, mm -hmm. so you've got the uh, the Aetna CBS deal, uh, Cigna ESI. Uh, we all know that OptumRx is already already part of the United Health Group uh, ecosystem. So let's talk about that for a moment. What what are these you know PBM yeah. medical carrier mergers uh, mean to the market? Well, uh, interesting topic because you can think of a lot of positives uh, from a payer standpoint. Mm -hmm. Right. When you, when you think about the PBMs, uh, I go back, I always go back to the Affordable Care Act because that's the, been the law for so long. But the, uh, the one thing that it failed to address was big pharma. Right. And, and why is that? You know, because we know that there's there are, are layers of um, uh, pricing and compensation um, that are potential revenue sources for uh, entities that are, are working with big pharma. And uh, that this is actually one of the elements that was very attractive for uh, for the carrier for the payers. Um, so so that's one of the things they were they were looking at for um, uh, for these mergers to kind of bring forth is that you know we've gotten we've gotten somewhat squeezed by the Affordable Care Act as far as margins. Um, so by by partnering with or purchasing a uh, a entity that's got a higher margin of revenue. Yeah. Um, you know, you put the two together and that's kind of a formula. That's from a, that's from a, a, a pricing standpoint. That's from a revenue standpoint. But when we, we talk about um, uh, quality of care, obviously uh, the, the, the first thing that comes to mind um, is the opportunity for the payers now to see the more detailed information from the, uh, from the PBMs with regards to caring for an individual or a member, somebody that's high cost, a high cost uh, has a high cost condition. Uh, and they can glean uh, they can glean information from uh, the, the the PBM with regards to the drugs that they're using. Is it appropriate? Not appropriate? And they can help to manage from that side. So so more transparent. You think that payers will get more transparency as a result of the you know the the the, the co ownership or the, the the integration of PBM and carrier. Yeah, that's one of the. I mean, if we're looking at the good. The bad and the ugly. That's right. that's on the good side. That's, that's, that's one of the things that we would hope will come from this. Right. But I think you mentioned too that really this is revenue and profit diversification. At the end of the day, right? I that's mean, is true. it is it at the end of the day going to be better for payers and ultimately consumers of, of healthcare? Yeah. Well, interesting because you know if you if you if you look at it with a different lens, mm -hmm. look at that that specific item with a different lens. Um, what you're going to see is that is that that could lead to higher premiums, higher prices, larger margins right. uh, for the payers. Right. So it's really kind of it's, it's it you know it's, the jury's still out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I think th those are the uh, the two directions you could take. Yeah, you could take a very skeptical view, which I just did with that last question, <laughs> or you could take the the optimistic view that there's some altruism happening on the carrier side, and they're they're going to use this to 
create a better healthcare experience um, for their for their members. So, uh, all right. Well, like you said, it remains to be seen. Jury's still out on that. So, uh, 2020 should uh, reveal how that all plays out. Right. Again, recapping 19. One of the other major themes throughout the year was uh, the idea of carving out member services and health navigation. Um, to third parties, so taking that Ooh. out of the carrier, right, um, and creating a better concierge member service experience for uh, people enrolled in a, in a health plan. So there's vendors like HealthJoy, a few that come to mind, and this is not the, the uh, a complete list, but HealthJoy, Grand Nor is it in any particular order? No, no particular order, right? Uh, not even alphabetical. Yeah. In fact, it's, I think, reverse alphabetical. Compass, Accolade, and there are right. others, right? They, that they're offering this this unique, you know, uh, non-carrier member engagement healthcare advice service, all leveraging technology in one way or another. And, and this really seems, from our perspectives, to have sort of exploded in 2019. So, what kind of impact did that have on the market? And do you think, Ron, that that it's going to keep disrupting the industry? And, and if so, in a good way in, in 2020? Um, this is actually one of the recent phenomenons that, uh, that I've been extremely interested in. And I think, honestly, uh, I think we're at the, on the tip of the iceberg with regards to, uh, to what this uh, new kind of movement will bring to our marketplace. Mm. Um, you know, I heard you talk about it on, on a podcast when you had Health Joy here. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you know, this was kind of a movement away from the uh, the carrier model, carrier technology, carrier platform, and honestly, the the biggest reason why that's proving to be successful, at least in the short term, is because of the trust factor. Mm. And if you look at you look at um, technology and, and actually member services and concierge type services that have been in the industry for a long period of time, I'll give a lot of credit to the to the payers out there for the technology that they built on their websites. Uh, and that people have access to, members have access to. Uh, it actually it actually does work if you take the time to download the app, learn about what's on there, and actually use it. But you know, statistics have told us that only six percent of employees and members use that, um, the, and that's the, just historic. The, the carrier, the carrier technology, that it's not being used by members. It's just not, and right. I don't think it's because it's poor technology. It's great technology. In some cases, it's exceptional. Yeah. Um, but the, the bottom line is, is that uh, that we've just we, we've not seen any spike in utilization yeah. um, of those uh, technologies, and I think that's that's for a specific reason. I just think there's a lack of trust because the insurance industry carries with it a lot of weight. Yeah. You know, for for it's you know people's health, personal information, and people are protected. Yeah. They just don't want to. They don't want to put too much out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you if you look at uh, the health insurance carriers' net promoter scores, yeah. um, historically they've been you know just horribly low, right? Um, and I think for that reason, it, now they've all been trying to improve their net promoter scores, but I think it gets to your point, Ron, which is like you know people, it, it's almost like you know going to the dentist to get your you know a, a filling, you know, to get your teeth drilled, like people get that feeling when they feel like they have to interact with a health insurance company, an insurance right. company. It's a, it's like a four letter word. Interesting. You bring up the, uh, the, the, the filling. Yeah. I heard the other day, actually on another podcast that you don't have to get Novocaine. You have the option of laughing gas. Oh, which I didn't know. I didn't even know that was, that was an option. Well, I'm going to look for an opportunity to get my, uh, my teeth drilled. Let's take that offline. <laughs> 
<laughs> just on an aside, when I was a kid, and I had to have a, I had to have my uh, my dentist was really old school, no Novocaine, yeah. and he would just say, when when it starts to hurt, raise your hand, and 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 I'll back off. So, <laughs> and invariably. <laughs> All I would all I would do is hear the sound of the drill, and my hand would go up before he even touched me. <laughs> anyway, that was a tangent we'll probably cut out. Um, so, but but Ron, do you think that that, that the carrier tech? So, how are the carriers mm. reacting to these these relatively new third party companies that that are delivering, in my opinion, an enhanced technology, but more importantly. A, a more high touch or, or deeper level of service, member service, mm. uh, going beyond just answering a simple benefit question or an eligibility question right. or, oh, yes, we'll mail you a new ID card if you lost it or, or whatever, but, but actually helping people navigate through this very complex healthcare system, right? Yeah, I think, Jeff, I mean... Before we actually get to that question, if we can back up a second and talk yeah. a little bit about, about the, the concierge movement, yeah. as I call it. Yeah. Um, because uh, quite honestly, I mean, it, it, you know, not all concierge services or platforms come in the same form, yeah. right? There's some that are apps, there are some that are developing apps, some that are really focused on, um, uh, you know, best in care providers and, and, and quality mm -hmm. um, and driving members to those and, and, and you know what employer employer wouldn't want any or all of those features right um, but the 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 magic here is really um, and I, I kind of I kind of look at this um, a little differently and I want I want to regress a little bit to to the advisor side the consultant side mm -hmm. uh, so if you look at what we've been trying to do as as consultants for the longest time we've been trying to do one thing help control unit costs yeah. And I don't want to get too down, down into the weeds, but I think by and large, we've, as an industry, we figured out how to do that. Yeah. And now we've got all sorts of different opportunities in the marketplace that can do that, um, uh, new opportunities. Uh, but what the concierge movement does is it now gives us that opportunity to sustain the lower cost, the low unit cost, mm. which has been evading us for the longest time. Hmm. That is something, that's why we've seen, you know, costs kind of like a roller coaster. You know, they yeah. go up, they go, they go up, and then we, we find a solution where we bring it down, then they go back up, and they come down. It's yeah. it's frustrating for employers. And I think that this finally could be a way to get to the member population uh, to uh, increase the trust that they have with their employer. Yeah. And to bring um, bring them closer to um, a better healthcare experience. Right. Right. So, so it's a win-win, right? Because it's, it's, it's helping the employee through what can be an overwhelming or scary process. Right. When confusing. They, and Why confusing. Right. Exactly. So delivering a better experience to them, but, but you're saying tamping down trend at the same time. So, so, yeah. so the, it's a complement to what we're already trying yeah, to do yeah, yeah. Um, with regards to innovation. Yeah. And because the, I think also they, that most of these services are focused on um, eliminating waste in, right. in the healthcare uh, experience, right? Elim eliminating waste, but I think I mentioned it before, I think the biggest item here is building trust. Yeah, yeah. Because the employees drive your healthcare costs, right. bottom line. Right. You can't look at it any other way, yeah. right? You can you can you can manage your fixed costs till you're blue in the face, yeah. But bottom line is, if the employees don't buy into what it is that their healthcare experience entails, yeah. what the employer is offering, it's not going to work. Yeah. 
So, but back to my question, are the carriers now realizing, hey, hold on, we need to deliver, we need to have our own concierge service, yes. our own health navigation, our own really functional, highly functional right. app uh, that, that, that people can use to help navigate through the system. Are they, are they responding in that way? Yeah, they absolutely are. Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting because uh, the timing is so ironic. Yeah. You know, I think within the last six months, I've seen a couple of carriers come out with almost exactly the products that are on the marketplace already. Right. Uh, but they're, but they're there for proprietary products. So they feel it's going to impact their members yeah. uh, in a greater way. And I think what, what they're missing is that gap in the middle, which is the trust factor. Yeah. yeah. I, sorry, sorry to keep bringing that up, but right. it comes back to that. Right. So you think there'll still be a market, even though the carriers are now feverishly working on and, and introducing their own mm-hmm. concierge service models, you think there's, there's still a market for third-party uh, objective uh, companies like a a grand rounds or a health joy or whatever. Hey, listen, I mean, we've, we've both been doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. right? 20 plus years. Yeah. So anything can happen. Yeah. Uh, we've seen this market turnover a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the answer to that question is, um, I hope so. I hope that, yeah. uh, I hope that some of these technology products do work because it's only going to help the experience. Yeah. It's only going to make things a little bit easier for members yeah. to be met where they need to be met. Yeah. Right. And yeah. with technology, um, just exploding out there continuously, right? Yeah. People are, you know, what's, what's in your hand is controlling, you know, 90% of your life, yeah. you know, that phone, that's that, uh, that, that experience that you have, everything is tied into that. Yeah. yeah. So if they can meet, continue to, to, to develop products to meet them, meet people where they, uh, they want to be met, it, it, yeah. it could be successful. Yeah. And it's, if it's carrier agnostic, you know, I, I think there's an appeal for the, for the employer plan sponsor there as well. So of course we couldn't recap 2019 without mentioning paid family leave. Um, last I knew, I think that there were nine states, I might have the numbers wrong, so yeah. forgive me, but nine states where there's now uh, mandated paid family leave um, and uh, another 20 states contemplating it. So those numbers may have gone up since since then. But um, so we talked about this with, uh, we had guests from The Guardian on a previous episode of the podcast. And well, how do you see this playing out in Connecticut, Ron, from a, from a boots on the ground level? Uh, it's I, you know it's a good question. I, I one thing I learned is that um, you know we have a baseline understanding of what the law looks like, yeah. uh, but there's more confusion than understanding at yeah. this point. And I think that first six months, uh, and I think that was mentioned in your podcast, yeah. the first six months of 2020 are gonna gonna help employers figure out um, which direction they should go. Yeah, uh, because one of the big th- uh, decisions they're gonna have um, is whether they consider outsourcing it or or not. Right. Um, and those, those outsourced solutions really haven't materialized yet. Yeah. Uh, so my advice uh, for employers out there of any size is do not put your head down or in the sand on this topic. Yeah. Uh, starting January 1st, after the, uh, the, uh, the end of the fiscal year kind of comes and goes, um, you know, get, get, a, get yourself um, uh, you know, attached to any webinar, uh, any blog, any seminar that you can attend that has to do with the, with the new law yeah. uh, and just continue to educate yourself. Yeah. Although I will mention the, the, the other thing that jumped out at me that I learned from that episode, which kind of blew me away, is, is in Connecticut, at least as the law is written today, it, it, employees have to vote to, and, and approve, a majority has to approve yeah. a private plan versus the, the public plan, yeah. uh, which, which I think is a logistical issue for a lot of, a lot of companies. Anyway. Yeah. 
we won't get stuck on that. So let's let's get back to looking ahead to 2020 now. Okay, so uh, something that everyone is closely paying attention to is is the election. It's 2020 election, November 2020, right? Uh, what's at stake for healthcare in this election? Uh, well, 2020, right? Yeah, the year of vision. Yeah. Oh, uh, see what I did? Well, pretty good, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know what's at stake? It, it, I mean, you could you could pontificate really about all the, the, the different scenarios that could happen with next year's elections. Yeah. And um, you know, in my mind, you know, if I think about uh, you know Trump's platform and I think about what the Democrats are doing, there's really there's really three roads that I could go down. And those roads are are are, are you know somewhat foggy at this point. Um, but you know, the, uh, you know, as far as Trump goes and Trump care, um, you know, Trump's reelected. Um, I I don't know that there's a crystal clear uh, vision for what he wants the healthcare um, system to look like, mm -hmm. um, but I we do know that he's fighting for uh, transparency on the provider side. Yeah, uh, for one, and he's looking to uh, to reduce uh, prescription drug costs yeah, and fight to, big pharma. He wants to. You know, so if there's two things you could take away from a potential Trump, you know, second term, it's that. Yeah. Um, on the Democrat side, however, um, things have changed over the last couple of months. And what you're what you're seeing is you're seeing a, a kind of a movement on healthcare towards the middle, except for Bernie, crazy Uncle Bernie. Yeah, yeah. I love him. <laughs> he, uh, you know, Bernie's Bernie's platform has. I give him a lot of credit because his platform has not wavered yeah. uh, from you know the you know four or five years ago until now. Um, he's been Medicare for all. This is the way we're going to do it. He's not wavering. Elizabeth Warren. Um, you, you think about the top four: Elizabeth Warren, uh, Buttigieg, you know, Bernie. I talked about, and then Biden. Um, but you know, Buttigieg and and uh, and Warren seem to be in the middle. They were Medicare for all, and have recently kind of slid a little bit toward the middle. Um, and what uh, the latest that we we've, we've heard from uh, from the Elizabeth Warren campaign is that um, she would favor a transition to a Medicare all by introducing a public option. Yeah. So a public option, everybody can keep their health care plan for the short period of time. We're going to put a, a government plan in place. And try to drive people, you know, beat the private marketplace with this government product, drive people to that plan, and then eventually go Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. um, Budakic is, uh, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's a little um, further towards the middle, uh, but a similar plan, a similar type of, uh, you know, here's, a, here's an option, yeah. right? You can keep what you have, but here's an option. Yeah. Um, neither of those obviously are, are, are going to, they're not a silver bullet. Yeah. And I think we know that. Um, one of the things that I, I read about Medicare for All is that the uh, the, the cost is uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty eight to thirty two trillion dollars with a T. Yeah, um, and that's over a ten year period, right? Uh, which would put a an incredible you know burden on taxpayers. Yeah, because uh, that's where the money's going to come from. Right. So and then and then the the last uh, um, candidate that I can I can maybe bring some light to is, is Biden. Uh, he seems to be right smack dab in the middle. He's his big thing is. He's 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 set his sail on on Obamacare on the Affordable Care Act and he's not wavering, mm -hmm. right? He was involved in that decision. Let's mm -hmm. not forget, mm -hmm. right? And his and if he gets elected, I think I think that we're going to see a lot of repair work being done to the Affordable Care Act and uh, um, you know potential uh, you know subsidies coming back um, in, a, in, a, in a full you know full force um, and kind of going back on a lot of things that Trump set in motion in the opposite direction. Yeah. So it sounds like. The, the Medicare for all is is at this point unlikely really to happen at least quickly anytime soon, even if the Democrats take the White House. 
it, well, obviously they'd have to take the White House, the Senate, and the House. Right, right, right. But if that, you're right. If that happens, I think there's a there's I don't think there's enough support from Congress. Yeah. To get a Medicare for all plan put in place in short term. Right. Right. Now, you know, there are, and, and we don't have time to get into the nuances of the pros and cons of a public option even. Right. Because there are unintended consequences of public option that, that I think people need to be aware of. And, and I, uh, I hope um, we have an episode in 2020 where, where, where we'll talk about. I was just going to say, it know, sounds like a 2020 podcast. I, I, think, I think we need to because, uh, you know, what clouds this debate is when people start using the word free, mm. right? And I'll just leave, let's leave this topic with, with this. No matter what we do, it's not gonna be free. Healthcare is not free. It's not free in a socialized healthcare system. It's not free in a, in a, in a private healthcare system. No, it is not. Healthcare is not free. No, I mean, we're, we're all gonna have to pay our fair share. Yes. It's just the definition of fair that's, yeah. up, that's debatable. And, and right, it's what's fair and, and how it's getting paid you know, via, via tax or, or a, a, a payroll deduction. All right, Ron. So regardless of what happens in, in the election and what the results of the election are, uh, advice for employers in, in 2020. What, what are some things that employers absolutely need to be doing uh, if they aren't already to stay competitive in the marketplace? Right. If you kind of look what's happened over the past three, four years, um, there's been a big movement toward alternative pricing, alternative funding, alternative financing, whatever you want to define it. That's been kind of the single biggest, call it silver bullet, that employers have been able to uh, get access to uh, because the, um, the ability to, to use alternative pricing methods or funding methods has come down market again, mm. right? And this is not all that dissimilar that what happened in the, in the, in the early 90s. Mm. Uh, there's just, what's, what's different now um, is that uh, there are different component and, and vendors uh, that can help the employer after they go self-funded or, or into an alternatively funded um, atmosphere or mm. situation that um, will help them uh, save money on each one of the components. Uh, we talked a little bit about concierge services. Yep. Um, obviously, there, there, there's items out there. Uh, there, there's actually vendors out there that have come become superb at controlling prescription drug costs. Uh, we met recently with a company called RX Connection, who who does exactly that, and they not only you know talk about different you know you know improving the contract and the rebates, uh, you know, but they talk about uh, you know being an advocate for the member mm, right. um, and providing advice there um, and saving money. Um, on, on the drug side. So I think, I think there, there's more arrows in the, uh, in the quiver, so to speak, now than there have been. My biggest advice for employers, really of all size, is don't underestimate what lies ahead. And there are, there's, there are more opportunities now than there were two years ago. Um, even that recent uh, for, for employers to look at. I mean, you talk about accountable care organizations. Those two are, those two are a long time coming. Yeah. And now it's actually living and breathing. Those are products you can get, even down to, to 50 employees. Yeah, the, the major carriers are, are finally, you know, out right. to market with, with product benefits built around AC, ACOs. And Correct. Tenet, right? Correct. Yeah. So, so you talk about ACOs, you talk about this uh, move to value. Yeah. Um, and, and the move to value, you know, is, was in Connecticut, at least it's been driven by the state of Connecticut yeah. uh, and their movement with their health plan. And um, they've been, you know, it's one of the most progressive plans in the country, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, so, so to that, to the, to the degree that that becomes successful, yeah. 
um, the market's going to going to open up in Connecticut yeah. to do the similar to similar type things, and that'll trickle down market. Yeah, it, it move to value is almost the, the the next level of sort of cost control mm. um, beyond the ACOs, don't you think? I mean, I see it that way. That you got ACOs, which is it's a it's a subset of your larger network where you're engaged it where the carriers engaged in a more complementary or, or, or cooperative relationship with the providers and uh, and in many instances the providers actually have some skin in the game and and, and uh, risk sharing and so on and so forth explain move to value what does that really mean for people who don't who don't know so the move to value uh, is an opportunity for um, employers to build a health plan um, where the members are, it directs the members to do specific things with regards to their health in order to receive their benefits. Mm. And those, those, um, those things, if you will, or those items or those incentives um, are actually built in to help mostly um, folks with conditions or multiple conditions, comorbidities, to become compliant with their condition or disease. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, that's value-based insurance design really, is, is, is that, right? Right. Um, so, so having the benefits uh, uh, in, almost incentivize people to do things that are going to actually help their health. Correct. Right. Correct. I was thinking to move to value in terms of how providers are paid. Yeah, this, that's, I was going to say that's the second so, so element. They pay for value. Right. right? So, there's, yeah. so there's two two sides to it. One is the plan design and right. how you drive them. Um, the members to the to use the plan appropriately, yeah, right? And then you've got the provider side, which is the biggest. Uh, that's the biggest, biggest question mark out there, right? And that's been the area that um, I think as a society we've society we've we've shied away from, yeah, right? Because it it it's uh, you know who wants to tell the doctors that they're wrong, right? Right? But quite honestly, there's there's uh, there are doctors out there that provide um, low cost quality outcomes on a consistent basis, and there are those that that don't, yeah. Um, and we're not, you're not pitting one doctor against another, but what we're saying is that um, there's data out there that proves that as fact. Right. Um, and what, um, what the, one, one of the big elements of move to value is actually getting your arms around that data so that it's a consistent, uh, equalized subset of data okay. that all of the providers buy into. Yeah, yeah. Right? right, so that when you're measured, you know how you're being measured, you agree with how you're being measured, um, and you're incentivizing uh, your practice to get better at what you do. Right, because the, the because the, the the you're getting paid by following that evidence based medicine and protocols of care, right? Uh, pay for value for delivering a better health outcome, correct? As opposed to just getting paid for doing something, volume, volume, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And so uh, I, we have if we've even scratched the tip of the iceberg yeah. on this. That's probably being pretty generous, don't you think? It is. You know, I mean, I mean, employers. I mean, this is an exciting topic for a lot of employers, and I think um, you know we we've got some clients that are incredibly innovative, uh, and would love to go down this road. Yeah. But because of their size and because the the product has not been uh, completely built or, or been vetted in the marketplace yet, uh, they're unable to do the progressive things they want to do. But there are steps to get there. Right. Right. And I think that's, that's what we're going to see. So 2020 is just another, it's another launch year, you know, with, with some opportunity around some really cool concepts some really cool products that um, have been coming for a long time. Yeah. But I think are now starting to come to fruition. Yeah. The thing about move to value and, and, and pay for value is that 
it can't be driven by the carriers or the payers. Really, it's the providers. That's correct. Right. The, it's the, inside out. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's going to take some time. Uh, with, with ultimately, I guess, where you were going is ultimately product built around, benefits built around, yes. steering people to centers of excellence that consistently deliver, as you said, around that, that, that consistently great clinical outcome. The member gets exactly what they wanted success-wise from, from a clinical standpoint. Right. Uh, and that almost always in, involves eliminating waste mm -hmm. um, and therefore reducing costs. So again, it's a win-win. It's a better clinical outcome, better experience for the member, lower cost right because it's being done in a center of excellence yeah i mean another item that falls in that category are the bundled payments that are we right. talking about right. um you know i mean if if it, it makes complete sense mm -hmm. that if you you know are getting a, a knee or a hip or something that is um you know outside of a chronic disease that can be um managed from you know a to z from point a to point z um, and that that's that service and the follow-up services can be bundled under a single payment. Yeah, that's agreeable to the provider. Yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah, yep. right. And that's that's the direction I think. Not only you know that's not something that just unbundled carriers who are, are unbundled employers who are self-funded um, and want to do some innovative you know you know use some innovative strategies to control their costs. Carriers are doing this. Yeah, you know, and that's that's I think that's that's the that's the takeaway for me is that the carriers are. are are, are not just mirroring what's happening in the non-carrier repair world. They're, they're using data to kind of, you know, defend the fact that, you know, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. And they should be doing this. Right. And they're building it into their future products and future plans. Yeah. Yeah. And future reimbursement, you know, provider reimbursement methodology. Right. right. Ron, anything else in anything else happening uh, in, in or other kind of cost saving strategies that employers might be thinking about in 2020? I think we've, we've mentioned quite a few that are prominent. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we, uh, we brought up that, uh, that term reference-based pricing. Uh -huh. uh, I like to call it Medicare plus pricing. It's, I think it's a lot easier to communicate and, yeah. and discuss when you talk about it as Medicare plus pricing. But I think that's, uh, I don't think that's just a wave. I think that's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's the end all be all. It's not something that you can put in place. That's going to, cut costs for now and forever, yeah. but it's a short-term strategy that can get your unit cost, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, down to a level, yeah. right, where some of the newer tools that we have in this industry, some of the newer ways to connect with our members can help sustain that unit cost. Right, right. Yeah, certainly uh, something to consider doing um, in lieu of product being built around the centers of excellence right. that are going to ultimately drive that kind of savings. What do we do in the meantime? And I think reference-based pricing or cost plus absolute reimbursements are are uh, one of those things to look at. What about managing uh, high claim risk captives or stuff like that? Is that uh, captives are still playing a, a major part uh, in Connecticut and around the country? Yeah, um, I think the um, you know again we've talked about captives quite a quite a lot over the past three four years, mm -hmm. uh, and obviously one digital created their own captive back in 2018. Uh, but it's but but the 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 magic to uh, sustaining lower cost is not just the captive. That's that's the that's the vehicle to get the opportunity to save money, mm -hmm. right? It's um it's sustainable only if 
uh, the members of the captive are doing a lot of the things we've discussed today. Right. And, and that's really where the opportunity gets. You, you need to get to a spot where you're A, self-funded, B, you know, um, you know, uh, unbundled or not, or, you, you know, or, or self-funded with a captive in order to have the opportunity to work some of the elements of your plan right. in new ways. Uh, with some of the newer vendors and products that we've talked about. And, and then participate in some of the, the savings that come from having more educated and engaged members. Right, yeah. right? Doing those things uh, that are going to make them healthy and keep them healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked, uh, we, we talked a little bit on, uh, recent podcasts about, you know, benefit programs that, um, you know, the employers should be building their benefit program programs with talent recruiting and retention in mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's more complicated than ever today because there's five generations in the workforce right now. So <clears throat> you got any thoughts on that yourself, Ron? You know, it's funny. I mean, I, I, tend to sound like a broken record when it comes to this. And yeah. I, I, I don't, um, I, I don't, it's not that I, I want to do that, but you know, I keep going back to uh, the member experience mm -hmm. and you know, we, we, you know, you're the, uh, the, the podcast you had um, on the, the five generations and the, and the, the millennials uh, dominating the, the workforce in the next few years um, really shed a lot of light on what things are going to look like for human resources, professionals, benefit professionals in the industry. Um, but what I would say along those lines is that take advantage of the member concierge products. Take advantage of, you know, if it comes to fruition, the same thing on the, on the carrier side. Take advantage of what the market is starting to provide from an employer engagement, employer employee engagement, employee communication, <clears throat> and uh, member education um, experience. Because don't, you can't underestimate the impact that that will have yeah. if it's done appropriately. And, I, and again, I think by a third party. So yeah. that trust factor is really going to help employers yeah. um, gain momentum with regards to uh, curbing trend over the next three to five years. And it's what the, the, the younger generations expect. Transparency, Correct. communication, robust, um, you know, and, and so forth. Uh, they're, they're not going to accept the old confusion of, right. of healthcare. They, they, they want to understand it and leverage it and use it to the, to, to the very best of their ability and, and make it as positive an experience as it can right. be. Right. And, and, and honestly, that, that part of your benefit program has to become much more pronounced. Yeah. It can't just sit in the back um, of, of your benefit program and say, Hey, by the way, we're offering yeah. voluntary benefits. Hey, by the way, if you want, if you have a pet, you can get pet insurance. Right. I mean, these are, these are items that are coming, becoming more and more important. Yeah. to employees, um, and they have to become front and center. Yeah. All right. Anything else we missed? Well, we, we covered most. Did we? Okay. All right. Well, you probably already know this. In fact, I'm sure you already know this, that we always uh, end every podcast with uh, rapid fire questions. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, so you should be thoroughly prepared for this. <laughs> Ready? Chocolate or vanilla ice cream? If it's soft serve, I'd go vanilla. But I think I'd go vanilla just because of the options you have. You're right. Right? To so, doctor it up. To doctor it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Favorite movie? Favorite movie. This is a great one because you, you, I think you've known me for a long time, and I've got a litany of, of movies that are, are right up on the list. But if I had to go to one, one go-to movie, it's A Few Good Men. Oh. Which is one I'm probably sure you weren't expecting. No, not at all. So Jack Nicholson, yeah. who I'm a big fan of, yeah. was in that for about 15 minutes. 
and had an enormous impact oh, on that yeah. movie. It was yeah, phenomenal. He made the movie. And that's what people remember about it. That's right. Right? Not to mention Tom Cruise isn't so bad himself. That's right. 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 You can't handle the truth. Yeah. Right. Would you rather be able to fly or be invisible? I would much rather be able to fly. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? A professional golfer. If I could go back in time and kind of fix a few things on the old swing, yeah, right, get out there and, and practice, I think that uh, I'd try my hand at... Uh, you might have had a shot. I don't think so, but I sure would have tried. like to try. <laughs> don't sell yourself short. Uh, okay, and finally, what is the number one thing employers should take away from this episode? Yeah, the number, I, if, I, if I haven't mentioned it a couple of times before, I think the number one thing people should, or, or employers should take away from this, this podcast today is um, complacency is not your friend, right? There, there is a myriad of opportunities on the healthcare side to save money mm-hmm. and opportunities for strategy, new strategies, nuances to strategies that you've already used. Um, so, so challenge yourself, challenge your advisor um, so, so that you're not, uh, you're not being complacent and that you're, you're always putting your, uh, your benefits uh, in, in the forefront. Yeah, I love that. Com- complacency is not your friend. That's a, that's a great way to sum it up. Uh, awesome. So thanks, Ron, yeah, for joining us today. It was a, it was a good, it was time well spent for me. Absolutely, my pleasure, Mr. Cross. <laughs> uh, if you like this episode, everyone, leave a review and be sure to, sub- to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you always want to be the first to know when the next season drops now, right? This is the end of this inaugural season. So subscribe and then you will be the first to know when we're ready to release episode one of season two. Um, it's been a pleasure these past few months bringing everyone up to speed on the trending topics and employee benefits and, and human resources as well. And uh, we're going to take a little break before season two launches in 2020, but, but stay tuned. We will be back. Uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. And this has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR.